Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is Heath Brown for New Books in Political Science. Today I'll be talking with Christine Trost, who is one of the co-editors of Steep, The Precipitous Rise of the Tea Party. I hope that you enjoy the interview. Christine, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Good. I really enjoyed the book and know a little bit about you, but I wonder maybe you can tell us a little bit more about you, where you are now, where you've been in the past, uh, what's, what's your background, and, and also... Who is it that you decided to do this uh, co-editing of this book with? Sure. Um, I am located at the University of California, Berkeley. I am currently associate director of an interdisciplinary research unit named the Institute for the Study of Societal Issues. And uh, I'm also a Berkeley grad. I earned my PhD here in political science. Um, back in 2000, and I ended up staying on here at Berkeley, first in a postdoc that studied um, political campaigns and the professionalization of political campaigns, and then assuming um, the position here at the Institute as the associate director. Um, One of the centers that I'm um, deeply involved in um, developing is a new center called the Center for Right-Wing Studies. And my colleague in that project is Dr. Lawrence Rosenthal, who is also a Ph.D. from Berkeley in sociology. And uh, we were given a grant back in 2009, a three-year grant, to found a new center that would be dedicated to um, nurturing scholarship on the right, on right-wing movements, both in the U.S. and other parts of the world. And uh, so that began in the fall of 2009, and as you know, the Tea Party emerged uh, the following spring, or actually the spring prior to when um, when we started. And so it was on our mind as we were starting um, this new center, and we thought, let's let's do a project on this. And we decided to start with a conference that would bring together scholars from um, across the country, um, an interdisciplinary group of scholars, uh, historians and sociologists, as well as political scientists and political theorists, and also uh, people who are not located in the academy per se, but have been dedicating their entire lives to to studying the right in the U.S. in particular and are uh, well-known as experts on the right. Um, so to answer your question, um, I'm located here at UC Berkeley. I work with Dr. Lawrence Rosenthal, who is also the co-editor on this book, which was a product of a conference on the Tea Party that we held in the fall of 2010. And we knew for that conference that we wanted to encourage scholarship on the Tea Party Um, because at that time there was a lot of talk about the Tea Party, there was a lot of media coverage on the Tea Party, a lot of hype about the Tea Party, but not a lot of scholarship because it was so new. 
And so we thought, this is our, our mission to nurture scholarship on the right. Let's start with a tea party and let's solicit papers from a range of scholars from different fields who are experts in this area. Yeah, and, and you know, given your background and, and given the, the obvious um, thrust of, of the center that you're, you're working in coordination with, the, it, it makes the very start of your book all the more interesting. You, you write at the very start, um, I think I believe it's either the first sentence or so, uh, nobody predicted the Tea Party. Right. And, and you go on to call its emergence stunning, a bolt from the blue. If this was a bolt from the blue and stunning to you, um, it, it really does say something uh, uh, about this movement. So to what do you attribute um, mm-hmm. the failure to predict this social movement? Some of the prediction is the sort of the scale of it. Um, but, but this is how you start, this is how you set up the book. Yeah. And so... What do you attribute that the, the fact that for so many, both in the academy and outside the academy, the Tea Party really did come as a surprise? Well, I, I think that we all were kind of caught up in the election of 2008 and the election of Barack Obama, who is um, a very, you know, uh, relatively progressive uh, candidate and, and president. And at the time, a lot of political commentators were, were bemoaning the, the death of conservatism. Seeing the, the election and the mandate that came with his election uh, of Barack Obama as, as marking a moment of ending for the right. And what we learned from the book, actually, and from some of the analysis presented in the book, especially that by the chapter um, written by political scientist Alan Abramowitz, is that maybe we shouldn't have been so, so, so surprised mm-hmm. um, about the emergence of this movement. And, and one of the things that Alan shows is the, um, the tremendous growth uh, of activists and very, very conservative uh, members of uh, who are of people who identify with the Republican Party and shows like a doubling in the activist base of the Republican Party over the last uh, three decades. And one of the arguments that he makes in that chapter is that there was a constituency ripe for mobilization. And then you, when you add the ingredients of um, a new progressive president, Democratic president who happens to be black, and the fiscal crisis, and the amount of spending by the federal government to address the fiscal crisis, you you have I think what we call a stew <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that makes the you know the emergence of the Tea Party. I, I mean, it was just ripe for some kind of a conservative response to these these various um, um, developments in American politics. Yeah, and, and I think you, you know, you set this up, uh, I think in that way. And, you know, one of these, like a lot of things that seem surprising at first, you know, if we just look back just a little bit, and Abramowitz's, uh, piece, which sets up the historical context, I think really does help very much with doing that. As you mentioned, um, just earlier, you, you picked, um, some traditional academics and some non-traditional scholars. Um, yeah. I wonder in, in making these choices, um, what you were trying to get, maybe there are a couple of examples from um, those that you chose that you were able to get 
a different perspective on the Tea Party that you might get if you only chose one or the other? What, is the, what does this mix get you that you might not have gotten otherwise? Oh, that's such a great question, and I'm so happy to talk about this, uh, because one of our missions um, here at the center is to bring scholars from different fields together, um, to bring their expertise together to understand the right. Uh, just studying the right from the perspective of a political scientist is incomplete. We need an historian who can tell us a lot more and in much greater depth about uh, populism in America so that we can situate this uh, movement and compare it to past forms of populism and better understand whether or not this is um, a descendant of, of the populism, let's say, of the 1890s, or perhaps, uh, as Charles Postel says in his chapter, he's an historian, um, a descendant of a different branch of the tree of American politics, which is um, the conservative branch. And so we really wanted to bring together historians who kind of who knew the history of the right uh, over time in American politics, and we also, as well as sociologists who could bring their expertise in in social movements and theorizing about social movements, as well as political scientists who could look at the public opinion data, who could break it down, who could tell us more about who makes up the Tea Party, who are these people, what are their beliefs, what is the role of gender in, um, in the emergence of the Tea Party, as Melissa Deckman uh, addresses in her chapter. And then we also wanted some political theorists, uh, Lisa Dish and Joseph Lone, uh, provide more of a theoretical um, analysis and background for understanding, in particular, the role of race in relationship to the emergence of the Tea Party. Um, there are many people who have written off the Tea Party as, as a racist kind of movement, but what Loans and Dish do uh, is bring their political theorizing to bear on the movement and show that it's much, much more complicated than that. And then finally, we really wanted to include people who are outside of the academy but who are have tremendous expertise in studying the right that people within the academy don't necessarily have. And those people include Chip Berlay, who has written a book called Right-Wing Populism, which is a classic, who's a sociologist, um, but who has worked for political research associates and who is who has spent his time writing books and studying the right outside of the academy. We also invited Peter Montgomery, who is a, a senior researcher at People for the American Way, to, and who is an absolute expert on the religious right, to offer a chapter um, that does a tremendous job of demonstrating the links between um, people who identify as being supporters of the Tea Party and people who identify as being part of the religious right movement, and showing where the intersections and the tensions exist. Um, so we bring to bear a tremendous knowledge of the religious right and, uh, and helps us better understand the relationship between the religious right and this new Tea Party movement. And then finally, we invited Devin Burkhart, who uh, works with the Institute for Research and Education on Human Rights, who studies the, the far right as well as the you know, other forms of, of um, right-wing politics in the U.S. and was really um, the co-author with, with Leonard Zeskin of one of the first 
significant documents documenting the rise of the Tea Party, where he literally mapped the um, the six largest national organizations, where all of their local chapters were located, and then in his chapter he provides this wonderful genealogy of these various Tea Party organizations and and what their, you know, where they came from and what their relationship to each other is and where their funding came from and just provides a really useful map for understanding the three, um, he identifies three organizations that already existed that took on the Tea Party cause and then three new national organizations that emerged as a result of this movement in the spring of 2009. So, again, he's not in academia, but he's on the ground and does a lot of ethnographic research, in particular um, going to Tea Party meetings and other meetings and gatherings of, um, of right-wing uh, causes. And so we just thought it would be a wonderful opportunity to, to, to reach outside of the academy, outside of the expertise that we often rely on, to acknowledge that there is other expertise that is equally valuable. So... On, you've now both written about and also learned from your, your co-authors in this book a lot about the Tea Party. It occurred to me that, you know, just, just referring to the social movement as the Tea Party does have some real problems to it, just, just in terms of naming. In part, you know, the most obvious and perhaps least important one is, is that it suggests that this is a political party, which it clearly is not. Right. Um, which is just not, is not the reference, but, but is what, what sometimes is opposed. So, Stepping back and, and knowing what you do from the book, is, is Tea Party movement the right way to refer to this, or is there, is there an alternative, um, a way that, that better would describe what is going on, given that so many different things are happening, and this isn't just a consistent um, single uh, issue movement, it's, it's not an issue, it's not a movement that's led, uh, even if there may be some national level influences, it's not as coordinated um, as, as would it. So in terms of naming, um, is Tea Party movement the right way to refer to this? Well, that's such a good question. We really struggled with this. Um, and I mean, I think we're calling it Tea Party movement in order to point to the, the social movement quality of this phenomenon. Um, but you're, I mean, you're right. It doesn't fit neatly um, into a bo- the, the social movement box because of the lack of coordination, because of a lack of national leadership or a national spokesperson for that matter. It's, it's incredibly fragmented, it's in, incredibly localized, um, but it also has these national components. And so, it, you know, it's, there's not, it, it's definitely not a political party, but Tea Party is the name that this phenomenon, this political phenomenon, um, took on, and so we wanted to kind of honor that. That's how they're calling themselves. So mm-hmm. we'll uh, we'll go with that. But we we stuck on movement um, in order to get at um, the movement quality of it, which which isn't um, uh, it's you know it's, it's not. Um, familiar in the sense of the civil rights movement. It certainly doesn't resemble anything like that. But there is a, a localized quality. There is a quality of mobilization that I think the word movement captures, and that's very much a part of what we're seeing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's definitely something we struggle with. No great name for this 
political phenomenon, certainly not, yeah. certainly not a political party, although very much um, uh, embedded within the Republican Party, as many of the chapters show. Um, but is it, you know, is it some brand new thing that just emerged out of nowhere? It's not. Um, is it an offshoot of the Republican Party? I think we wound up calling it an, an insurgency within the Republican Party, which is probably what I'm most comfortable with. But I do feel that there's a movement quality to what we're looking at. Yeah, yeah, no, and, you know, we always fall victim of trying to name things too quickly. And yeah. this is, you know, we are, we're hardly at the end of this movement, if movement is, is the best way to refer to it. And so we do fall victim of that. Right. And we'll and roll to play in 2014 and 2016. We'll probably determine as much about what we think of this as the previous two and a half, three years. Right. And I'll just add that, you know, the book was published in the fall of 2012. We had our conference in the fall of 2010. I mean, this is very much emergent. Research <laughs> mm-hmm. on an emergent uh, movement. And so we don't, and that was always our intention. It wasn't to say we're going to, you know, analyze this, this phenomenon and wrap it up in a nice, neat bow and, and hand it to our reader. Rather, we're going to say, this is new, this is messy, um, but what what do we know about it as it exists today? What can we say about it? Where, How can we trace the origins of it? How can we better understand the role of race and gender as it's operating within this thing right now? And so we are totally um, not claiming to have the definitive account of the Tea Party. Rather, it was much more of a first take in in response to feeling a tremendous need for academic scholarship on it to counteract all of the media hype around it. Uh, you, you end the book with an epilogue, a short epilogue, mm-hmm. which which tries to link this uh, movement up with the other of the last five years or so, right. which is the Occupy movement, right. which which in in uh, their differences are obvious, mm-hmm. but but. Uh, Wrap, help wrap this up for for us. Um, what are those connections? Um, what do they have in in common? Given that they have a lot of obvious things not in common. Well, one thing they have in common is the same historical political context that they emerged out of, and and it's a context of growing inequality. It's a context of anxiety and fear about the future brought on by the the Great Recession and the tremendous um, financial um, uh, uh, difficulties that we experienced in, in 2000, 2009 are still recovering from. And so one thing that these two movements have in common is, a, is responding to this current historical, social, political, economic context that we have. Um, the difference is in the way in which they choose to respond. So you, and what we argue is the Tea Parties is a very conservative response, um, whereas the Occupy movement is very much about challenging um, the, the existing inequality. It's a, it's a call for redistribution. The Tea Party is anything but a call for redistribution. Mm-hmm. It's very much about preserving what I have and holding on to what I have and what I deserve as opposed to, um, you know, challenging the, the way in which uh, wealth is distributed in this country. So does, does that answer your question? That's how I see it. No, that absolutely does. And, and, you know, given the way you're talking about this, 
it sounds like there's either going to be a second edition or maybe something in the works. Is there something in the works that is going to uh, speak across these two movements, a, a, either a follow-up book or a new book that might, might do that? What's, what's next, on your, uh, next on your agenda? Oh, that's such a great question. Not right now is the answer. Um, we, are, we want to expand the research agenda of our center, and so one of the things we're really interested in uh, researching and developing and probably putting together another conference and possibly another edited volume is on the transnational connections and linkages um, between right-wing groups, both here in the U.S. and in other parts of the world. And we're really interested in the ways in which uh, the right learns from each other, organizations on the right, so and, and exports and imports strategies and tactics and ideologies. And so the, the next step for us is moving beyond just this U.S. focus on the Tea Party and thinking more closely about the, the transnational quality of right-wing movements today. Great. Well, I hope when it's, when it's all done, you'll come back and talk about that one because I, I really enjoyed uh, Steve's The Precipitous Rise of the Tea Party, that's co-edited by Christine and Lawrence Rosenthal. It's published uh, in 2012 uh, by University of California Press. Christine, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Heath. Really appreciate it.